Welcome to Subscriptions for Authors. Meet your co-hosts, Michael Evans, sci-fi thriller author of a dozen novels, and Amelia Rose, a semi-romance author that makes six figures per year in subscriptions. Together, we will help you make more money with subscriptions and succeed in the future of publishing. David's doing so many awesome things that I don't know where to even get started. He's writing short stories as a horror author and succeeding in subscriptions, which frankly, making the short story model work with subscriptions is an exciting area of growth for subscription authors, but it's something that David's already doing successfully. Not only that, but he's figured out a way to repurpose the intellectual property and subscription so that he can make revenue from his short stories outside of his subscription and garner discovery of new fans. He does this by repurposing his audio content on YouTube and also bundling his short stories into collections where he can put them in paperback then sell them on retailers and also sell them direct on his site. Incredible stuff. And all put together his subscription ecosystem because truly the subscription is the center of what he's doing. But David's created this unbelievably awesome ecosystem. He estimates it's worth over $10,000 a year to him. That's the full revenue that it generates for his business and all the different income streams that are coming off his subscription. It's just, it's amazing. And, and not only that, David has an incredible way of thinking about branding subscription and marketing himself. It's beautiful. And I actually got an inside look into this process because recently David migrated his subscription from Patreon to Ream. He saw the features that were coming out in Ream and he knew that it would be better for him be better for his readers and would help him make a more successful subscription. So I was like, hey, I'll love to help you come to the platform. Let's do anything we can to make it a smooth transition for your readers. And I got an inside look into everything he was doing. It's just mind blowing. So I can't wait to dive into this podcast. But if y'all were in the Facebook group, you would already know a bit about David because he's been sharing some really insightful posts in there. David has already been really well respected in the community because he's done really well in thrillers. He's also really amazing horror author and he has been sharing so much insights and descriptions for authors so if you're not part of the facebook group yet just a little reminder that you should definitely join because you'll get to hear some insights from people like david because i can guarantee you he's going to share more in the future we'll probably even have him back on the podcast and another reminder that if you're interested in Reem and you want to join the subscription platform by fiction authors for fiction authors you of course can check it out create a free account but if you're interested in migrating to the platform we have a free concierge migration service where you'll work directly with me and i'll help you bring your audience over to ream and be able to set up an amazing subscription in as little time and as little stress as possible so that's it for me we're gonna get into this podcast with david truly a special one because he's a really special person thank you David, I'm very excited to chat with you today on Descriptions for Authors podcast because I just learned about, I think I made a post maybe about Jack Steen in the group and then it sparked a whole conversation of horror writers and horror subscription authors. And you are a horror author who has a really unique and fascinating Patreon, which we're going to talk all about today. But before we really dive into your subscription, I want to first learn a little bit about what got you here. What got you into writing horror? What got you into building this specific CUNY? of readers. Sure. Appreciate it, Michael. Happy to be here. I think my story is probably a lot like a lot of writers. You start writing very young and have dreams, these big aspirations to be a writer. But I think my story might be a little bit different that I took a break for almost 20 years and I stopped writing and I ended up becoming involved in the things that I think most teenage boys probably get into. And that's video games and girls and going out and doing stupid things when I should have been reading books and writing them. So I stopped reading and writing for a long time. Five years ago, I got hit with an ad um, talking about self-publishing and I'd never known anything about it. And up until that point, I'd done a little bit of research to discover how it worked with agents and things like that. It just seemed very pie in the 
guy. It didn't seem like something that was a reasonable path for me to take as an author because I'd, I'd never written anything. And it seemed like trying to get to that point, number one, finishing a book and number two, finding a way to sell it. And then looking at the margins at this point, I was a, I was a personal trainer, a very successful business locally. And I knew what margins were. And I knew that 10% from an agent working with an agent and a traditional publisher wasn't going to be for me. So it just seemed very pie in the sky. So I clicked on the ad and I learned a little bit. And it was, it was a Mark Dawson ad. And from there, I, I guess you could say a spark was rekindled. I spoke to my wife about it and I said, Hey, I think I might want to try and write a book. And I said, I'm going to write the first one for me. It's just going to be so I could say I did it. And look, he shows me how to get it in print. And so I can get my own copy of it. And I did it. I wrote the first book in two months and ah. I was obsessed. Yeah. I started in dark fantasy thinking because that's a lot of what I read was dark fantasy. I, I read a lot of Garth Nix, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, of course. I, I wrote what I thought was going to be my genre based on what I read. And it turned out to not be the case. I turned out to write a lot darker than I normally would. So my background right now, my full-time job is I'm, I'm a police officer. I think that probably plays a large influence on it. And I do tend to write in the darker genre. I guess you could say horror and dark fantasy is very closely related, but not the same. Anyways, so one book became an obsession and 18 books later, five years, I have no plan on stopping. And I sold my fitness business and went all in on authorship. And so I nice. bounced around genres a little bit. I wrote stuff that was for me and I wrote stuff that, that of course didn't sell because it was for me. I wrote it for myself and I tried to sell it and it didn't sell. I finished the dark fantasy series and then I, I had a good friend, part of my writer's group. We've been together for about five years now writing together. He had suggested I try writing a horror short story. And so I did. And he looked at it and he read it and he said, man, you're a horror author and you don't even know it. And that's what started me down the path of horror. Dark fantasy was so close that it, it was a natural step into horror. So put all that together. I've been in it five years now. And I think that's it. I believed in writing so much. And I love to tell this story that was so short on money. But when I do anything, I do it 100%. I don't take shortcuts. I don't do good enough. I know I could potentially spend weeks and weeks editing, self-editing, and hopefully get it to where it's good enough. If I spent enough time on it, on a book, that's not how I operate. I want the best product out there as quickly as possible. And so I pay for editing and that means it costs a lot of money, especially for premium covers and things like that. And with my first series that I had no idea what I was doing, I believed in it so much and I had so little money that I was donating plasma to pay for my covers. So I literally put my plasma, my blood wow. into my covers. <laughs> I'm so curious about that because I know, first of all, speaking of Mark Dawson, you were on Mark Dawson's podcast talking all about authors and fitness, which is, mm -hmm. I think, one, it's very tough to maintain fitness as an author. But two, I'm now wondering about how were you able to maintain fitness as one, you were being an author, and two, having, I'm just, I know some people who donated plasma. It, it takes a lot out of you. How are you able to keep up mentally and physically during that time period? I know you obviously, Obviously, you've been through a lot. You're very mentally tough, but still, that seems like a big challenge. I found donating plasma on good days when I would sleep and had been eating well and my stress levels were lower and I had plenty of time to recover. I found that and maintaining a stable level of fitness too made donating plasma a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And then these plasma places, not to get too deep into it, but they have a limit on how often you can donate. And it seems like my body was ideally at that limit where it was like, if you do it only when they say you can, and I would never advocate for anybody to pay for for their covers this way just do yeah it. <laughs> definitely i'm just curious but yeah I, I, w I was already pretty fit exercising regularly watching my nutrition i've got i broke my back in the army and so my back is very important that I, I keep an eye on that and so i would say when i was doing it the only reason i was able to do it successfully and as often which it only amounts to a couple hundred dollars a month 
but the only reason I was able to do it successfully was because I came into it already somewhat fit. I think anybody who's donating blood or plasma, I think, don't quote me on this. I want to believe it's true because it, it's awesome if it is because it's just an extra perk. But I heard that donating blood actually, because your body has to produce the blood that you lost, it actually burns calories. I don't know if that's true, but I want to believe it. So I want to believe that plasma might be the same way. I don't know. <laughs> it's completely off topic. You definitely know more about not only this, but anything as it relates to having the crime thriller aspect of your books down pat when it comes to how you use your guns. And I just want to plug a, a group that I know you've been involved with and that I think is a great resource for writers that especially are inscriptions for authors and are thriller authors, horror, military science fiction, which is the cops and writers group. I know you're involved with them. And I'm just doing a quick plug because I think they're great. If you're listening to this, be like, oh, I want to dive deeper into this. I imagine when it comes to blood, when it comes to anything like that, you could find more of that there. But being a horror author, obviously, the question I want to ask you now is, were you able to eclipse the point where now the business is at least self-sustaining? You don't need to be donating anything. I know you're still a cop full-time, but where's the writing now income-wise for you? Are you at a place where it's sustainable? Yeah, so horror is a tough beast. I'll tell anybody getting into it, you have to love the genre and be willing to play the long game from somebody who's written both horror and thrillers, crime thrillers, especially one where the niche and the uh, tropes are easy to recognize versus horror, which is very robust. I can tell you that launching a yeah. thriller, I launched my last thriller into the top 1000, the Amazon charts without hardly any effort, just what I knew from running at and part of a stable launch process. I think my thriller list at the time was only about 3000. I built it the same way I built all the other ones, my, my horror list. So it was much smaller, but it was also a much more reactive launch. And that's what I found that the Amazon algorithm is still working for me to this day. So if you are prepared to go into horror expect that you will not get any love from Amazon expect it and I know some authors who do it very well and it seems like a luck of the draw they could put one book up and they do very well on that one book then having additional books is really tough so I would expect that whatever return you're expecting make sure that your readers are willing to purchase every single book that you put out from that point on because that makes the lifetime value of a customer as expensive as it is to acquire a reader it makes them a lot more valuable to you and they have to be because you're expecting to sell them not just this horror book that you wrote that they love, but four more so that you can actually have somewhat of a sustainable income whenever you're launching because Amazon will is really tough to give you any love. So right now, for example, my thriller book, mm. I put I think I put in a five dollars a day maintenance ad on it. And somewhere in there it's floating at forty to fifty dollars a day in, in sales. That's on my thrillers. My horrors, if, if as soon as I launch, it almost goes down to zero after the sales come in. So I'm in production with that versus with my thrillers where I'm in sustainability. I would say to anybody who's wow. looking into yeah. horror, connect with the reader immediately, as close as you can. They want to get to know you and work on that immediate conversion into something that you have to sell. Get them invested into your work. Just giving them a free book for an email address only works if your onboarding sequence and your message to them is unique. It's profound and it's got to resonate immediately. Luckily, people resonate really well with my with law enforcement when I explain to them that I'm a veteran and in law enforcement. And so that's my shtick I talk to readers for with. And I think that really helps to connect with them immediately. And I get occasionally I get some unsubscribes and I get some nasty messages from people who don't like police. That's okay. They're not my readers. If, if they don't want to be there, that's okay. Yeah. I don't mind. But for those who stick around, I have found that being honest and open with them has really allowed me to Number one, connect with the reader. And number two, convince them that they are supporting me and my goal to make it in horror. I explain how difficult it is. I, I, I'm not shy about that. I say, hey, look, I could switch over to something else. And I have to test process with my thrillers. I, I wanted to test the process. I said, I know everything that I've known up to this point. I'm a consultant for a seven-figure publisher out of Ireland. I, I understand how ads work. 
but I can't get them to tick for horror. So what is my, where are my options? And so what I discovered, and I can talk about this forever, but I guess my message in all this for anybody who is interested in horror, number one, your readers are going to be closer to you than any other genre. I would say that's my feeling. Horror is very visceral. It's very emotional. It's taxing on the reader. And so when they connect with a horror story, they're really connecting with you. I, first of all, thank you for being so honest about the struggles and also benefits of certain genres in terms of just certain genres are easier to acquire readers in. And that makes it one, there's sometimes more competition, but two, can make it tough when you're not writing in a genre like that. I'm curious up to this point, because I want to talk about your subscription. You mentioned lifetime sure. value of your customer. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot there. But what has worked for you in terms of finding horror readers? Has a lot of it just been word of mouth and just getting a few here, get a few there? Or has there been a strategy that's worked for you? Yeah. So my primary strategy is, I would say description of it is scraping the bottom of the barrel. And what I mean by that is it may cost you, let's say, let's say you run a fussy librarian promo and you push it towards a book funnel download of a fussy librarian is one of the services that will accept a personal download page so you can acquire some of their readers using a book funnel landing page i may only get out of 200 downloads on my book i may only get five of them that convert to sales i know that once i have them they're there they're going to be there for a while because i've noticed that the people that who come onto my onboarding list after the initial unsubscribes they're around for a while and so my primary method has been i'm going to scrape the bottom of the barrel for every single subscriber i can get and so i'll participate in things like the book sweeps premium services ryan z's service i pay for those yeah i do two or three of those a year and each time i get about a thousand subs for a couple hundred dollars now that's a nice little boost but i have found that i run facebook ads right now to a book funnel landing page. I'm going to plug another group because her group is amazing. That's Tammy Labracki's newsletter ninja group. If you go there and you need help with your newsletter, that's the place to be. Tammy's a great person. Her books are top notch. All the pros in the industry say go there for newsletter advice. I run Facebook ads as well for a subscribers. I push a free magnet to them and I've gotten my onboarding process to a point where I've tweaked it to where my conversions are as high as they can be. I get about a 45% conversion on my landing page through book funnel. Now I tested wow. that on a mail light landing page to see if there was any kind of difference in conversion. The difference was 29% to 45%. And so I stick to book funnel, go straight from Facebook to book funnel. Yeah. And so that's been my primary. I, I do, I run $10 a day on Facebook ads for subscribers. And each month I end up with between three and 500 subscribers. Now my onboarding process naturally tries to sell them a book. And so right now, if I track the, I use genius links, which are affiliate links, but I use them to track the conversions more accurately. And it's kind of pseudoscience and a little bit of kind of guesswork. But if you use use those links in combination with your open rates and your close rates, your open rates and your click rates, you get a really confusing calculation of how many people are potentially buying your book from your newsletter onboarding. So hmm. anyways, the system works like this, Facebook ads to a book funnel, to a free magnet, to multiple opportunities in the magnet and in the onboarding sequence for them to buy a book. I send it into the first book in my series and for every subscriber right now, my estimate, my best estimate is that I make $3 per subscriber that makes it through the whole process. So right now, based on my spend, I'm breaking even on subscribers for how much I'm spending. So that is what I found works. If you type my name into the Facebook ads library, you can see the ads that I'm running and see how they're set up. You're welcome to copy them. Your targeting is going to be different. I'll share any information I can on that process because that's the only one that I've found in horror to be very successful, at least in the long-term returns. Because when I combine those readers with things like a large backlist, but understand when I say hmm. large backlist, one that's not really supported by Amazon. Amazon's not pushing my books to my readers. And it could be me. It could be my account. I don't know, but I have to do that manually. So just something to keep in mind. Mm. So, so much insights, so much as I say, that was 
it may it be awesome. a lot. And now I'm just thinking hose. like, no, I I like a fire hose for those listening. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you and I'm so excited because now I'm like, wait, let's think about where your subscription now fits into you have this funnel and I can already literally using book funnel, you have a funnel. <laughs> and now you choose to start a subscription in the last month. Before we even talk about the marketing aspect of it, what got you to start that now? And specifically your subscription on Patreon is targeted to your horror readers, not your thriller audience, which to my understanding, thriller is selling better for you right now, or at least it's more profitable. So I'm curious behind that decision-making, why one only on horror? Why did you not combine both? Talk to me about that. Sure. So how I market myself is as a writer. Now, I acknowledge that there are certain genres I write in, but also I my readers, when I'm communicating with them, they get to see both the thriller and the horror side. So they know I'm supporting both at the same time. I don't send separate newsletters. I want them both to have love. So when I reach out to my readers, they're getting both thriller stuff and horror stuff, and they can see the progress I'm making on both. And I queried them. I Mm. asked them. I said, okay, let me take a percentage. And I sent out an email, and at the bottom, I said, "If if I wrote thrillers, would you be accepting of that? All the horror readers said that they would read thrillers. Almost all that responded said that they would read my thrillers. The people who are already on my thriller list said some of them weren't interested in horror, which is fine, which is what I expected. And I said, okay, there's a lot of cross genre from horror to thriller, but also in this specific wing of thrillers, which is crime thrillers, I guess you could say, instead of like domestic thrillers or romantic suspense, that sort of thing. In crime thrillers, I said, who's interested? I asked them, I queried them. I said, who's interested in this? And the response was, it was pretty neck and neck where most said, they're going to read both, which is a great sign because I think that meant yeah. that they were connecting with me. Now, there are going to be some holdouts. The ones that were holdouts let me know they were holdouts. They said, I only read one genre and that's all I'm going to read. And I'm only here for that. And I said, hey, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I write quickly enough. I write about a book a month. I said, here, you're going to get it at least not maybe not this month, but maybe next month. So as far as working my subscriptions go, I wanted to say I, I said diversification of my income has been really important as a horror author. This year, I think this year I've made more money than previous years and it came from multiple sources. And that was something that I had to be comfortable with if I wanted to write horror because it's not taking off like it's supposed to in other genres with somebody with as many books as I have. If I had written 18 thrillers, I'm pretty sure I'd be in a different place than I am right now. Knowing what I know, it's taken me all these years to learn how to read and write again. After 20 years, I would say the first probably about 10 books were, were learning how to write books. I've been studying uh, vigorously. I finished, um, I got five weeks left on my MFA, which has only been part of my process to try and learn more about writing from any source I can. So I had to relearn writing. So first 10 books were all about relearning writing. But I would say my, I said, where else can I diversify? Because I've done Kickstarters. I started a YouTube channel. So I put my audio books up on YouTube. So my books are on, my books are on audio. I've sold merchandise. I've done ghostwriting. I've done consulting for companies. I've done everything I can to diversify my income. And I said, how else can I do it? Where are my missing places? One of the things that I enjoy writing is short stories, especially when it comes to horror. Every horror author out there should write their own anthology of short stories. That's just something that you do as a horror author. You write a zombie book, you write a vampire book, and you write an anthology of short stories that's like notorious for horror authors. And so I said, how do I write short stories and make it profitable? Because I still want to pay for an editor. I still want to. and, And I said, what can I do? And that spawned, okay, I've got these short stories. Who's going to read them? And I said, probably not my mainstream horror audience. Like I would launch a book, maybe my super fans. I got some super fans out there. I know there's a bunch of them, people that when I look at my email subscriber list, I can see they've opened every email and clicked on every link and probably bought every book. I said, who are these people? And so that spawned the idea. I said, okay, now I just have to make it unique. 
and I have to make it a premium product because if I'm going to make any money off of it, it's got to be premium. And so that's where this whole idea came about. Short stories, premium product. Where does it come from? Love it. Love it. And very naturally, obviously leading into horror is where what will be more sustainable for you from a short story perspective. I'm already thinking about all of the, I'm a big fan of Stephen King. He's probably my favorite author, if I'm being honest. And his short stories are just love it. So horror short stories are, I'm a personal reader. And I'm excited now to talk about your actual tiers in your subscription. They are, they're very interesting. It's all based around this concept of 10 minute terrors, but you're offering at the lower tiers, the $1 tier seems to be much more around just being able to support you. And the higher tiers, they're getting a monthly ebook, a monthly audiobook, which I'm guessing is that of your short stories in it? Yes, yes. Yeah. I don't know if you want me to go into it now or if you had more questions, but yeah, essentially it's the audiobook is not old. It's not old hat. They're getting new stuff. And since it's of a short story, it's much more maintainable. Got it. Got it. And, I love and, that. And then and the branding's important too. The the whole brand is 10 minute terrors. It's 10 minutes for you to participate and it's 10 minutes for you to listen to a cool story on your way into work. That's the brand. I love it. 10 minutes. Yes. And the audio you're having that professionally produced no ai okay okay i was just curious because you were saying you were getting professional editing so i'm like okay yeah very no, so cool the editor the and my, the readers so, yeah go ahead i'm saying are the readers receptive to that oh yeah they don't mind and the majority of, so they look at it as a plus they say hey i can listen to it but at the same nice. time they're most likely a reader yeah but i look at it i say look i said i can put this up on youtube i said i can even if they don't like the audiobook i said i can make it into a youtube video of a bunch of horror short stories that goes on my channel i love that repurposing it yes. okay no i'm now feeling it all so are you from a workflow perspective so you're writing the short story and then you're handing that short story to an editor are you giving them because i'm thinking about from an editor's perspective are you giving them like a batch to do at once or you're just giving them one short story and they're cool with that yeah so let me I'll go into the process a little bit because the workflow people may want to know how I engage because my editor is booked out in advance and trying to book him on a bunch yeah. of short stories is really tough. And I only, I have one editor that I love and I want to stick with him until I have to get rid of him and find another one. And the only reason I get rid of him is if he leaves the industry. So I love my editor and I'm very yeah. lucky to have him. But so no, my workflow is like this. Since it's a short story, I can manage the time and effort it takes to do several read throughs and I can manage making edits on it. And they understand, the readers understand that this is possibly a beta draft. So they get warning in advance and say, hey, this is a beta draft. But my advanced tiers at the end of the season. So how my tiers work is that I have seasons. Every six months is a season. Every month is an episode. So they get one episode per month per season. And so the higher tiers at the end of the season, they will get a paperback of all the books that we've written together. And I say written together because they are involved in the process that will go to my editor. So the editor will get the full batch at the end of the six months. He'll put it all together. I'll take all the audio. I'll smash them all together into six, into one long video that can go up on YouTube. And the, in the meantime, they get beta copy. So they'll get the beta copy of the audio. Now I've done a lot of read throughs on it and I've got my own editing software that I use. So it's not like they're getting a nasty copy. They're getting something that's decent, but probably isn't probably isn't what I would say I would not qualify as my own sellable material. This is not something but they're accepting of that they understand it's a process and they understand they're involved in the process. And at the end, they get this really cool thing. And so everybody because of how simple book funnel is at the end of the season, I'll just push them the book re edit it once it's edited, and they'll have it in the library if they wanted to read it and they'll probably reread the whole thing. Honestly, once I have put the whole thing together into an anthology. So I have good faith that number one, they don't mind because a lot of these super fans 
fans are my beta readers too. They're my arc readers. They're my advanced readers. They, these are my people. And so they're very receptive to this whole thing. They're very accepting of it. They're not going to ding me too much. And if they are going to ding me, where are they going to ding me? They can't ding me on Amazon. They'll probably send me all the changes on through email anyways. Be like, hey man, you messed this up. I have no idea what you're saying. Here's an email of all the corrections I made. I've already gotten one from this recent season. So it's- That's awesome. I was honest with my readers when I created this. And that was important. I said, this is what I want to try. And I said, hey, this first month doesn't turn out. I'll refund all your money. I said, I'll shut it down until it's ready, until I've perfected the process. I said, let's give it a try for a month and see how y'all feel. And it's at the bottom of all my emails. For, so for the last month, last two months prior, a month prior to launch, I waited a month in arrears. I wanted them to pay me in, in advance. I don't want, I didn't want to write it. And then a bunch of people come on later and say, hey, I'm going to pay for it now. I wanted them to pay in advance. And I said, if, if it doesn't turn out well, and if we don't like it, I'll refund your money. And they were accepting oh, that. I collected. That's so smart. Yeah. And I let them know. I said, look, I said, we're going to be working on it for the next month. I said, I opened up, I did a test run of the voting system and I let them kind of vote on some background stuff. Everybody got to vote. So I made that important. I said, everybody, no matter what tier, you get to vote on something. And that was something I was curious about. I said, man, do I let everybody vote no matter what the tier? And I said, yeah, it makes the tiers at the higher level where they're voting a, pre a more premium product by getting to veto other votes. I said, how cool is that? And so the everybody gets to vote on something. So I have a general voting that they get to do. And then I have the premium voting that they get to do. But then I also have the the medium tiers where they get a couple of different, they get a couple of votes on sections. So if, if you imagine it, there's a, for every tier, there's certain things they can vote on. And at the highest tier, they can start axing out other votes and say, hey, no, I'm, I'm paying this premium tier. I want the story to be this recent story I just wrote. Somebody vetoed the story and it was supposed to be out on a farm. Somebody vetoed it the last minute. They said, no, we're going to have it on ancient ruins out in the middle of the Amazon forest. So that's what I wrote. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So the so much there. So the, this is awesome. The voting, because I'm with you. I've seen your subscription, which by the way, if you want to see David's Patreon, you should check out the link in the description because it's awesome. And then you'll actually get to visualize what he's saying. But just to help those who are listening, because I'm with you. I feel your tears. But first describe to me, like, what is voting and why sure. did you allow your readers to do this? I love it. But as an author, it's scary, right? Yeah, yeah. So I had to relinquish some control. That's the first thing is to say, look, readers are a customer. And so I'm going to talk marketing just for a second here. Readers are customers. Yeah. They have expectations. My genre is robust. So how do I give them exactly what they're looking for? And the answer is ask them and then let them choose. I know the majority of them will read a lot of what I put out. So I don't think I'm going to lose any of these people, especially the ones who are in these premium tiers. I don't think I'm going to lose anybody because they don't want to read about ruins in the Amazon. I don't think I'm going to lose anybody because of that, but I think I'm going to make the ones who are really happy, who are really interested, really satisfied with the product because they got to choose what they wanted. And then they get to join the community as everybody jumps in on this and say, no, I want this and no, I want that. And hey, and I ask for ideas. And so how the voting system works, that's what you asked me, right? i sorry, I got off a tangent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how the no, voting system works beautiful. is I've got tiers, depending on whatever tier the subscriber is at, they get a certain amount of votes and they get to vote on aspects of the story. And that includes characters, themes. Our most recent theme was a revenge plot. I said, do you want revenge? Do you want, and I said, vote on things like what emotion do you want to see what what kind of ending do you want do you want a surprise ending do you want everybody dies do you want do you want a most people pick surprise by the way which is cool it left it open to me they had and they could vote on anything they wanted for an ending and they said you pick and so that just helps me that's trust that is trust that's a lot of trust yeah and i let them vote on things like location i said do you want amazon rainforest do you want the ruins and i even put a box down there said veto vote we're going here because that's where i want to be i want to be in a new york sky tower in a new york penthouse i let them pick these things because it allows me it's a short story my commitment's not a whole lot it's not a whole lot and it is giving them what they want and 
And so I'm willing to relinquish a little bit of that control. And I say a little bit because in the end, can I make a story that gives them what they want, but still something that I want to write? And so that's where the beauty of the voting system comes because I get to choose what they vote on. So if I really want right. to write something that they may not have voted on, I'll just put it in the voting as one of the five or six or options. If I really want to write about two male strangers, I won't, I'll, I'll put that in there as that's what we're starting with. And so I get to choose a lot, but they get to choose. There's so many aspects to a story that there's options out there for them to vote on. They can vote on, on character names. They can veto names right away. You want your character in a book. If you want your name in a book, guess what? You can veto that right away at the premium tiers. And so that's what I mean. So we've got, everybody gets to vote on a certain aspect. I'm going to backtrack. Everybody gets to vote on, no matter what your tier is, on certain aspects. And it's normally the general stuff. It's normally, do we have a creature feature? Do we have a haunted house? Do we have a vengeful ghost? Do we have a serial killer? What is that bat, that high level stuff? Anybody can vote on that. The next tier below that is where the paid tiers, the higher paid tiers get a certain amount of votes on some of the cooler stuff. Okay, what's the ending going to look like? Okay, what's, what are the character names? What are the places that we're going to go? What What are some of the plot points that you want to see? They get to vote on those. And then the premium tiers, the higher tiers, this is where it gets really cool. And I said, I wanted a product that was worth their money. And so the premium tiers, number one, they get to veto votes. They get regular votes and they get to veto votes, meaning that they can choose one thing that they throw out the window from everybody else. They're saying, we're getting this. And so that says to these premium members, they say, I voted on Amazon Rainforest. Guess what? Or I voted on Farm. Guess what? A, a premium tiered member voted. He vetoed that vote and he said, no, we're going to the Amazon. And so that's, that's how the premium tiers work. Now I said, let's sweeten the package. And I said, I want to reuse my IP as much as I can and my yeah. intellectual property. And so I've got all these short stories, seasons, one short story per day or per month, per season for six months. That gives me an anthology of 15,000 words to 20,000 words from that point on. At the end of that, my premium tiers, they've been paying $25 a month, 15 to $25 a month for the subscription. At the end of the six months, I'm going to send them a swag box with a signed copy of the anthology for free and us worldwide doesn't matter because it's a small paperback it'll be a 15 to twenty thousand word paperback i'll put a good cover on it i'll put a good edit on it and now i've got a premium product that i can number one give to my advanced readers that they've already seen it they've already been through it they've already chosen what they want in it i can post that on facebook on on amazon as an anthology under my account it may or may not sell some copies don't know but it's already made back the money through through the subscription service and then you talk about the yeah. we yeah. talked about the audio a little bit and the audio goes up on youtube and so it's just YouTube. putting together this system. I, I wanted to create a system that would pay me fairly well. I would say that the, the higher tiers are very well worth it because even with just, even if somebody was in a higher tier for one month and then they canceled it out, they paid $25 for a paperback minus shipping and printing costs. It's worth it because I say, if you're in the premium tiers for any more for one month or more, you get a paperback. So if they just wanted to come in for one month, they've, they've purchased and I, wow. I think that's the whole process. I don't, I foresee issues coming when it comes to shipping time. I foresee issues there, but I've priced the premium tier so high. And I don't mean too high, but high enough that'll cover international shipping because I have a few folks who are international and I, and I program that into the cost a little bit. So the premium tiers, I think it's 20 or $25 a month, but that gets you all the cool benefits, including the paperback, which is a signed copy. And if considering most of my fans that are on this or my super fans, they're going to want that paperback for their collection. So a lot yeah. of them are in the premium tier. That strategy, one thing that I love to roll back to the voting sure. is that when you find out that a fan at a higher level that, and you're not in that level gets to veto you, my immediate thought would be, oh, geez, I better join that. You're like, I, I don't want that to happen again. I want to be the guy who vetoes them next time. So that's a really like subtle way to be able to entice people to upgrade. 
which I think is always seen that subscription authors are struggling with, right? Because you have these tiers, right? But when someone's on that $5 tier, that's great. But if you get someone to join the $25 tier, that's even better. And when someone first joins, they might not be ready to join that $25 tier yet, right? It might take them some time. So having some subtle yet definitely powerful reminders of, hey, there's more waiting for you is great, especially too when you get to post, when you're repurposing your IP, posting it on Facebook, hey, the new anthology's out, putting on Amazon, et cetera. That's another opportunity then when fans go, they read the book, they get to the end of it and they're like, wait, if I had joined the premium tier, I would have gotten the book months ago and been involved in the creation process because I know you put them in the acknowledgements as well. That, what a beautiful system. But I'm curious up to this point, because you said most of your fans, right, are at the premium tier. How have you marketed your subscription up to this point? Because I know it's still early days for you, but clearly it's going. You got fans in there. How did that work for you? Yeah, I tried to create value. That was really important. I said, look, this is not just another money grab. Yes, you could wait for the anthology. I'm probably going to publish the anthology probably three to six months on Amazon after it's already gone out to my premium folks because I don't expect it to sell a whole lot on my Amazon page. So it's not, I don't have yeah. a huge rush to publish. It's not something that I'm just going to, I'm expecting to make some money back on the back end. And then the numbers tell me I'm going to make something because I have other fans who are super fans who are not going to be in the subscription service who will be interested in the anthology because I wrote it. I even joked around and said in part of my MFA was writing poetry and I've got, I wrote horror poetry. I've joked that I said, if I can get enough premium tiers, I'll include the horror poetry. And sure enough, I got exactly what I needed and more. And so now I have an obligation to include my horror poetry, which is terrifying. Wow. <laughs> but I've marketed tiers <laughs> in a way through value. I said, look, I said, you all are special because you were on my newsletter. You've gotten my book. You found me. I communicate with you. You know me. I, you should know a lot about me by this point. I took it up a notch. I said, okay, in my subscription service, it's not much for me to make a video for 30 seconds recording on my phone, just thanking them and talking about my day. And so I said, if you want to connect with me even further, you can do it. Here's how. And look at what you get to be a part of. This is a separate community where people, and I'm screenshotting some conversations, some back and forth between super fans that they all know each other. They're all in, they're all in the same circles. When you're gathering up horror readers, it seems like you're gathering up all the same folks, which is totally fine because they're voracious and they love to support indie horror. I've screenshot some of these conversations and say, hey, look, you can be a part of this. And I put it at the bottom of my newsletter. I don't put it in their faces. My initial launch was very passive. I, I talked about it for four weeks. And I said, would you be interested? Would you be interested? And I got a lot of responses. My readers are really, I, I have a backlog of emails I've got to respond to because they know if they respond to me, if they reply to my email, I'm going to reply back. And so I have a backlog of emails. And I said, hey, look, my I promise to you is I'll never, ever hire out a VA to do this for me. I said, it might take me a little bit. It might take me a week, sometimes two. But at the same time, you're going to hear from me. And so that's really important for them. And so I asked him for four weeks. I said, are you interested in this? And I had enough response. And I said, let me make it cool. And I wanted to reduce my cost at the beginning. I didn't want anything that was super, super cumbersome. As far as my obligation to my readers, I didn't want to say, hey, I'm going to let you. I know an author who lets readers, he's on Patreon. He lets readers watch him write. That terrifies me because I don't know about other writers, but I don't want anybody watching me write because some of the stuff I put out on first draft is not good. I would hate for somebody to read that, but it's something he does uh, as part of his service. I couldn't do something like oh. that. I couldn't do something like, hey, I'll give you early chapters. I know that's yeah. something that a lot of authors give. Here's early chapters. And I'm like, how do I plus one that? early chapters, why would you subscribe to me versus somebody else who's doing early chapters? How about this? How about you help me write the chapters? And so I said, that's that to me is premium. Not only do you, because how many people have said to, to, to a writer that said, Hey, I got a cool story idea. You should write it really just like that. So I said, yeah, 
I said, yeah. there's, there's something missing there. And so when designing my tiers, I said, I, I wanted premium. That was the word I had floating in my head. And I said, premium, but also something I want to write. So how do I do it? And people think about that. They say, oh, I could do a, a three book box set fantasy special edition. Everybody does it. It does really well. I don't knock anybody doing Kickstarter. I think you should. I did a Kickstarter. I've done two. They've both funded. My second one was not so good, but also my marketing plan I had behind that fell through. So... <laughs> But I said, do something different. Engage your readers. How can I do premium and engaging my readers? And so without rambling too much, that's how I talked about it to them. I said, this is the next level. And it's very sustainable for me because my obligation is not early chapters. It's not first looks. It's not, I'm going to do a weekly call with you. I, I can't do those things. So I have a, a messed up schedule considering all the things that I'm doing. So I could not promise that to them and successfully deliver. What I can do, I said, I can write a short story. I know that. I can write a short story. I can involve them. I can put the voting up. It gives them a week to vote on. And then it gives me a week to produce the book and then a, a couple of days to edit. So each month I have time to do the short story in the midst of all my other production that I'm doing. That was, and then it gives me the opportunity to over deliver. Like next month I'm going to do, because I did, we talked about conversion from lower tiers to higher tiers. On the day that I launched or on the day that I released this recent season, I released it to everybody. I saw five conversions from lower tiers to higher tiers on that day wow. specifically from yeah from, from not additional readers and i didn't even tell my newsletter that the book or the short story was live on pay on patreon i didn't even tell them i just sent it out to the patreon list so i knew there weren't new conversions these were old people who ramped up and said, man, he delivered. And I think that's what happened. That is so important. I'm so happy you shared that. Like you in real time, seeing that under promising over delivery, making it sustainable for you. That is, is what we always talk about, but you're executing it in real time. But there's still a few questions I have on that because sure. a few things. One, you mentioned, I'd have to go back into my memory 20 minutes ago. You mentioned, I think at least five plus income sources, at least five plus income sources related to your writing. Yes. Subscriptions is now the new kid on the block in a good way, maybe yeah. up to this point. Has it been worth it for you? Because I know you're saying like, ah, it's, it's easy to keep up with, but let's be real here. If you are getting paid, and I know you're not, but if you're getting paid $0 a month to just write a short story, you might be able to do it, but maybe that time would be better invested into, you know, writing more of your novels and writing more. There's a lot of other things you're doing. Sure. So far up to this point, has this been something that you're like, yeah, not only can I do it, but it's something that I actually is worth doing because those are two different questions. Is it worth doing? You think? Yeah. If it's, if, if you, number one, you have to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, then if, if you don't enjoy posting your early chapters, you're not going to enjoy the money you get from it, no matter how much it is. If it's a struggle to open yourself up and say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to message my guys on Patreon every other day and I'm going to put them in the back of my books and I'm going to ask them all these things and engage with these readers. If that's cumbersome to you and you don't enjoy it, it doesn't matter how much you're getting paid. So for me, the first thing yeah. was do am I going to have fun with this? And the answer is yes. So in that aspect, it's absolutely worth it. And then the additional money on top, it just made it even better. So would I do this nice. without getting paid? I uh, probably not. I don't know if that sounds sounds selfish or not, but I could do other things to be a part of it. But I saw an opportunity here that I was always thinking about premium products. I was always thinking about engaging my readers. What else can I do? Everybody talks about engaging your readers. Well, posting on Facebook, a cat picture is not going to engage a reader. That's not it. That's not what they're looking for. So it might've been it 20 years ago, but it's not it now. So you have to think outside the box and you have to be very willing to, to go beyond because think about companies all the time are they pay big money for people to get on social media to engage with their users of their product or their services. They pay big money for that for somebody to who's a no name. Are you really going to engage with somebody selling you Coke, Coca-Cola via Twitter, but they'll, but they pay marketing managers a ton of money to go engage with people on Twitter about Coca-Cola products. So obviously there's a reason for it. 
And so for me, I said, I need to engage my readers too, but how can I do it where I enjoy it and where it's profitable for me? Because yes, I could spend the time and just write more. I could just put it into another book and that's fine. For some people, that's all they want to do. So I would say, if you enjoy it, do it. If you don't enjoy it, don't do it because otherwise people are going to tell that you're not authentic because that's the thing is that it just adds another level of authenticity to my persona. Authenticity is very big about who I am when it comes to my readers. I, they don't get anything but raw me. I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I know a lot of authors are don't want to expose themselves that way, but I guarantee your readers appreciate it when they know you're human. They know they're not supporting a big company. Yeah. They're supporting a person and that's important. So all of this to say is, yes, it's worth it because my readers know they're supporting me and I'm not going above and beyond what I'm comfortable with and what I'm happy with to do it. That's an amazing insight. And I, I think the knowing what is best for you is the tough thing. And I'm really happy that you had the awareness to look at a lot of the other strategies that authors are using successfully in descriptions and be like, there's something to learn from it. But that early access maybe is not for me in the traditional way that we talk mm -hmm. about it. Maybe providing bonus content and little, now maybe that's maybe the short stories, right? And giving them more control that you found something that was sustainable for you. And I think that's the inspiring thing because it's like, when I saw your subscription, and I've seen hundreds at this point, literally, if not actually probably over a thousand author subscriptions. And when I saw yours, I'm like, mm, I've never seen one like this before. And that is really cool because I know that another author can hear what you're saying and create something for them that's unique in a way that I would look at that too and be like, ooh, I've, I've never seen that before. But the key in this is that it's working for you. I'm so happy to hear that. And this has been just incredible insights today. And my final question for you is just, where can we find more from you? Where can we learn more from you? This was seriously, you dropped so much knowledge on us. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help. If anybody ever tags me in Facebook groups, depending on where I'm at in the Facebook group, like you said, I'm part of the, I do the cops and writers thing. I'm part of, I, I participate in Tammy Labrakis. Look, I, and this is a little segue. I left the fitness business, which was cutthroat. It was absolutely brutal. It was people talking down to each other. It was anybody willing to steal a customer. It was horrible and mm -hmm. it was so vain. And I left that because I came into a business where everybody shares everything they can and hope for the best for everybody else. It is such a kind and forgiving industry that I wanted to be a part of that as much as I could. And so I give all of my knowledge away for free. Anything I can do to help somebody else, you got it. I don't know if there's a whole lot there. I'm not one of these authors who's up on stage because of how much money they make. I'm just a guy who's trying to find my place in the industry. And there are a couple things that I've gotten involved in. And I said, hey, I, I've got enough knowledge now. I can test and I can show other people what I'm doing. If it's useful for you, you can have it. I want you to be successful. And so I would say if it depends on the group I'm in, tag me and I'll, I'll answer your questions. If you want to find out about me personally, I just said go to my website. That's my hub for everywhere, everywhere davidregoots.com. That's if you want to know about my newsletter strategy, I say get on it get on my newsletter, copy it. And if not, if you don't want to do that's fine. Go to Tammy Labracki's group, grab her books. I've only done what the industry pros have already put out. That's all I've done. I've, I haven't really created anything new. I think this Patreon subscription is about the only thing that's really new for me. And the only way you're going to find out about that is either by searching for 10 minute terrors on Patreon or through my newsletter. So that's, I, I would say that's probably the best place to learn about those. Unless I think there's some group posts from me in the subscription for authors group. You can tag me there and I'll be happy to help. But yeah, any kind of knowledge I can provide to you, anything I can give to you to, to make you successful and to help you, I'm there. Because like I said, I can't explain how wonderful it is to be in business, but also to not be afraid of the business itself. Because in fitness, I was always worried about customers and sales and other people who may want to steal my niche. And I don't have to compete. I'm not competing with other authors here. And that's a wonderful feeling. I'm creating art. I'm selling it. It's mine. 
and I'm not competing with other people. Name another business, you can do that. And I don't think there is one. You're so right about that. And I think it's a privilege that we're all able to be a part of this industry and to have you contribute so much to it. And if you are interested in checking out all the links he mentioned, they'll also be mentioned right at the top of the description below. This is incredible, David. Thank you again for, for your time and for all your amazing insights. Michael is a blast. Thank you, sir. So that was it for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out David's subscription. The branding is just immaculate. And he also does a lot of great work for horror writers. So if you're interested in checking out the work that he's doing for horror writers and the content he's producing to try and help other horror writers succeed, then you should also check out that link in the description. David's honestly an amazing person. It's been a pleasure getting to know him. And this from the bottom of my heart when I say just thank you for coming out to this podcast. And thank you for listening. If you don't know, we have descriptions for others podcast basically every week, usually on Thursdays. I'm not going to promise every Thursday because sometimes it comes out on a Friday. It just depends, but mostly, normally, usually Thursday. We have some amazing episodes coming up. Honestly, I just keep finding amazing authors to chat with, which I just, it's just a testament to how amazing this industry is and how inspiring the people are in it. As this community grows, I feel the amount of episodes I want to film only grows and I have to hold myself back because I want to record 20 interviews every week and then I realize that I can't edit that much our editor can't edit that much no one can keep up so I have to tamper the excitement but I promise you we have some amazing episodes coming up amazing ones I don't want to even hit the guess but one of them has three subscriptions and is running it successfully Another one makes almost $20,000 a month from her subscription. Just a taste, okay? In the meantime, okay? I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. And don't forget, okay? Storytellers rule the world.